That was bold, wasn't it? I boldly welcome you to where no man has gone before. Um, I just want to do a few announcements. Joel is going to speak again. Sunday night was awesome, and he's going to continue walking us through Hebrews tonight, and I'm excited, so I don't, I don't want to waste much time, but there are some announcements that are pretty important I want to go through. Uh, one of those is on Friday night is the First Coast Women's Services Banquet. The tickets for that are $30. If you would like to go, that's a fundraising banquet, please see Dana Lane. I think her, or I've seen Bobby tonight. I'm sure Dana was upstairs as well, but see them tonight. That's a I just love that ministry, and I would love for as many people who would be involved to go. That would be great. Another thing is we need some preschool volunteers on really Sunday mornings, I think Wednesday nights, Sunday nights. Rebecca does a great job of coordinating, but if you're willing to help and be somebody in that rotation, will you talk to Rebecca? There's actually sign-ups. You can just sign up right outside of the bathrooms on the bulletin boards, and that would be a huge help to her to have a Rotation. The main thing is we want people to be able to be part of our services. So the more people who sign up, the less often you're missing here. And so if everybody will pitch in, then the load is much, much lighter. So if you're willing to pitch in and help out, that would be great. Uh, Another need we have also in the preschool-related item is the care center. The care center is giving away clothes. Y'all know that. But the preschool items fly for them. They're as soon as they get them, they're gone quickly. And so if you have access or you know of people who would like to donate, especially children's clothes uh, or children's items, the care center would love to have that stuff. They'll, they have plenty of need for it. One more thing is if you, any of your kitchen supplies have been given to the church or used for providing meals for people, they may be in the back. If, if you're leaving through that hallway, we have a table full of kitchen supplies, and it's actually getting so full that we're having to get rid of them pretty soon. So make sure that you've looked through. If your stuff is there, uh, it won't be there for very long. So look at it. Make sure that you don't lose something you would like to have. Last thing, if you are youth or you're a parent of youth and your youth isn't here, the D now is at the end of March. But one thing I need to do is get T-shirt sizes. So if anyone wants to be part of that weekend, that D-Now weekend that we've been talking about, I just need your t-shirt sizes. So see me after the service, or if you don't, I'll be calling everybody tomorrow and trying to figure out what your t-shirt size is. But that's all of our announcements. Joel, without further ado, I'm excited. Check. Hear me? Great. Hebrews chapter 1. This is where we were Sunday night um, when I preached, and I just figured I would keep going. Um, so we, we made our way through the first fur, four verses, excuse me, on Sunday night, and uh, tonight we're going to look at a, a bigger section, verses 5 to 14 of Hebrews chapter 1. So if you want to make your way there. Uh, one of the things I just want to say, just real quick, um, is I think of a passage that, that, that comes later in Hebrews where the writer says that when, when we come to the church, we are entering into an assembly of things both seen and unseen. And one of the things I'm going to talk a lot about tonight is 
um, angels because they show up in a, a lot in the, in the last part of this chapter. And then I think also of something that Paul said about, he's talking about head coverings and how um, uh, in the worship service of women should have a, a sign of authority on their head. And one of the things he mentions in passing is that, is that they should do that because of the angels. And that's just always been intriguing. I'm not quite sure what to make of that, but it seems like angels are present in what we're doing here when we come to church. Do you ever think about church that way? That, that angelic beings are interested in what we're doing here? I think we should think of it that way. Uh, but if you found Hebrews chapter 1, I'd ask you to, to stand in honor of reading God's word. And we're going to read verse 5. All the way through the end of the chapter, verse 14. This is the word of God. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth, the, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Amen. Before I pray tonight, I do want to mention uh, Brother Gary Poole has asked me to, uh, to, to pray for his daughter, Bridget. She has had some back complications and um, has been in a lot of pain. And um, he just asked me to pray for her. So we're going to pray for our time together and, um, and, and pray for Bridget as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we have together to look into your word, to be nourished by it. Father, we pray that by your spirit you would write your word on our hearts tonight, that it would bear fruit in our lives and change the way that we live. Father, I pray that we would just worship Jesus as we look at this text, like all the angels do, as we're going to see. Father, Father, may we follow suit and, and worship him along with them. Father, we do lift up uh, Bridget to you and the, the back complications that she is having and the, the pain that she's been in for, uh, for a while now. And we pray that your hand would be on her and that in uh, all of her interactions with the doctors that things would go smoothly and that you would um, uh, help, things to help her back to get back to the way it needs to be. And we ask these things in yes. Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When I was a kid, one of my favorite movies to watch was called Angels in the Outfield. 
And I imagine most of you have probably seen angels in the outfield, at least the talking about the one that was made in the 90s. I didn't realize it was actually a 1951 version um, of it. But if you recall the plot of that movie, there was a baseball team, and they were called the Angels. But they were terrible. They never won a game, ever. And, um, but then a, a young boy who is a fan of the team, he prays one night that God would start helping this team to, to win games. So after he, after he prays, he, he goes to one of the games, and lo and behold, miraculous things start happening on the field. One of the players jumps up to catch a ball, and he stays in the air for a few seconds, and so that he goes this great distance, and he catches the ball. And then there's another time when the opposing team's trying to, trying to get the baseball, but it just keeps going every which way, and they can't grab, they can't grab hold of it. It's another time when a guy... I think he slides all the way from third base to home base to, to get a, a, a run. And everybody's seeing these crazy things happen on the field. And it's like, what is going on? But the kid who had prayed, he can see that it's all because of angels. There are angels helping the team to win. And, uh, but only he can see the angels. Nobody else can see them. And so they're just having to listen to him about what's going on. So movies like that are really fun to watch, and I think it's probably just because the idea of angels has always been intriguing to human beings. We've always been fascinated by this idea that angelic beings have some role to play in the things that happen in this world. Obviously, though, whatever it is that we believe about angels needs to be based not so much on Disney movies, but on things that uh, we're told about them in God's Word, in Scripture. So it may be good for us here at the beginning of this message to just think generally about what we know about angels based on Scripture. We know from Scripture that angels are probably most basically just God's messengers. They're created beings, so they're not eternal like, uh, like God is eternal, but they give messages from God and they execute his will on the earth. I think about when Stephen was um, given a defense of his faith in the book of Acts. He mentions actually that it was an angel who had given the law to Moses back on Mount Sinai. Uh, so the angel had brought the law to Moses from God. There was, he was kind of a mediator. Uh, angels do God's bidding. They're like his special agents in the world, if you will. Uh, one of the things we see in this passage that we have read in, in verse 14 of Hebrews 1 is that angels serve God's people. They protect believers. Think about Psalm 91. It says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. What a blessing that is to know that. There's a story in 2 Kings where the prophet Elisha has been surrounded by an army of Syrians, and he's got this young servant with him who is absolutely stressing out about this Syrian army that has them surrounded, and he's thinking, what are we going to do? But Elisha says, and I love this, he says, settle down, we've got more on our side than they have on theirs. And then Elisha prays that, the, that his servant's eyes would be opened. And his servant looks and he sees a multitude of horses and chariots of fire all over the mountains surrounding them. Hmm. They're glorious beings. Angels are glorious, at least in their, 
their natural heavenly state. Uh, I think about when the shepherds were visited by an angel in Luke chapter 2. And it says, the glory of the Lord shone all around them and it terrified them. So they can appear in that kind of glorious and terrifying way. And yet, they don't always show themselves in glorious or unusual ways. In fact, one of the most fascinating things I think we read about angels in the Bible, and it comes later in the book of Hebrews, actually, in Hebrews 13, it says that we can be involved with angels and not even know it. That's intriguing. He says, he says this is why you should show hospitality to everybody, because you never know. It might be an angel that you are hospitable to. So I think it's absolutely appropriate for us to be fascinated by the idea of angels. I think that the scriptures invite us to to be fascinated and to think highly of these glorious creatures that God made and the work that they do in the world on God's behalf. Now, to my knowledge, I've never been visited by an angel. I've never received a message directly from God by an angel. And I imagine probably most of you haven't either. But just imagine if you had, how would you think about that? That would be, that would be something, wouldn't it? That would be amazing. I think it's good for us to think that way about angels because that'll put us in a good place to really feel the impact of what the writer of Hebrews wants to teach us about Jesus in this passage and if you were here Sunday night, you might remember something I said about what I think is the major theme of the book of Hebrews as a whole. And it's just these three words, Jesus is better. Right. What we're going to see here in this passage specifically is that Jesus is better than angels. When God revealed himself through his son, this was better than at any time God had revealed himself through angels. That's what we're going to see. So... Um, in this latter part of of chapter 1, going from verse 5 all the way to verse uh, 14, the writer is going to cite seven different passages from the Old Testament. And his purpose in citing those Old Testament passages is to show us how Jesus, the Son, is far more highly spoken of in Scripture than, than the angels are. So if you've got a a modern version of the Bible, it might make it easier to see when the Old Testament is actually being quoted. It might break it into a new paragraph and indent the text. Um, And that's good to be able to to see what's going on. Um, In my King James, all of the text kind of runs together, but they do put the Old Testament citations in all capital letters so that you can kind of see um, uh, when the Old Testament is being quoted. Look with me at verse 5. The writer says, For unto which of the angels said he at any any time, and now here comes the first Old Testament quote, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, now here comes another Old Testament quote. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So these two passages that he just quoted are are from Psalm 2, and then the second one's from 2 Samuel 7. The point is just to ask a rhetorical question. It's a question that makes a point just by asking it. To what angel did did God ever call his son? The implied answer is none. God never called an angel his begotten son. And that shows that Jesus is superior. Now, if you were to go back and think of that that, that second scripture that he quoted um, in verse 5, 
I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. That comes from 2 Samuel 7. And if you were to go back and look at that statement in its original context, you would see that it actually seems to be speaking about David's son Solomon. And and when you read that, you might ask yourself, why does Hebrews say that this passage is referring to Jesus when it really seems to be referring to Solomon? And that's a good question. I think the answer has, um, I'll, just, it, I'll just give kind of a simple answer here. If you want kind of a more full answer of, uh, of those kinds of interpretational questions, I would, uh, I would uh, recommend that you talk to Pastor Nathaniel because he, he, really, uh, he really specializes in those sorts of, sorts of questions. But to give just a basic answer here, I think what happens sometimes in Old Testament prophecies is there's, there's a kind of double fulfillment that goes on. So... Uh, Jewish Christians, uh, like the writer of Hebrews, they could look at this passage in 2 Samuel 7 and they say, yes, it seems to be referring uh, most immediately to David's son, Solomon. But at the same time, notice that it says, if you were to read, read the passage in 2 Samuel 7, notice it would say that, that his kingdom would be established or his throne would be established forever. And now clearly that can't be referring to Solomon's and his throne and his kingship, because it didn't last forever. And so there must be another son of David that we're supposed to be anticipating, that we're supposed to be waiting on, which is why it's no surprise then when you get to the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew, right away, the first line, it calls Jesus the son of David. Jesus fulfills that Old Testament promise in a more complete way. Look with me at verse 6. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and here's the Old Testament quote, and let all the angels of God worship him. Uh, This is a quote from the Greek translation of Deuteronomy 32 and verse 43. The point is just to say that the angels worship the Son. And so obviously there's a big contrast between the angels and the Son if the angels worship him. Look at verse 7. And of the angels he saith, and here's the Old Testament quote, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. This statement is from Psalm 104, and it just gives us a picture of the glory of the angels. The writer of Hebrews has, um, does not want at all to diminish the glory of angels. So he, he cites this passage which showcases their, their, their glory Uh, He makes his ministers a flame of fire. In fact, the word seraphim, seraphim is a kind of angel. That word literally means burning ones. They're glorious creatures. But if you think they're glorious, here comes a contrast in verse 8. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now, this passage is from Psalm 45, and it's a really interesting psalm because it speaks of this kingly figure who is referred to as God. But then, in the next verse, it is God who anoints that person who is called God. And I can just imagine that Jewish interpreters would have just scratched their heads over this psalm because there seems to be some other divine person being spoken of. 
And the only way for us to make sense of statements like these that we find all throughout the Bible is with what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, but it's just a word that we use to express things that we see all over the place in Scripture. We believe in one God, and there is only one God, and yet this one God exists in three distinct persons who are all equally God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the writer of Hebrews says, yes, there is another divine person being spoken of in Psalm 45, and that person is the Son of God. And don't miss him. Don't miss here that the Son is clearly called God. And that's why he's worshipped by the angels as God. Thinking back to verse 6. And it's not blasphemy. It's not blasphemy for them to do that. It's not idolatry for them to worship Jesus as God because he really is God. Have you ever wondered why it is that we do not have Christian fellowship with Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses? This is why. It's because they do not worship Jesus as God. Now, I think they have all kinds of other false ideas as well, but the most critical dividing line that separates us is this issue of the deity of Christ or the godness of Jesus. And as uh, upstanding and respectable as they might be as people and as upstanding as they might be morally, Christians are people who worship Jesus. Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, they don't worship Jesus. That's why we're divided. Verse 10. Here comes another Old Testament passage, and it's another passage that's being addressed to the Son. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up. And they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Here we're seeing that the Son is the one who created all things. The heavens are the works of his hands. This clearly sets him apart from the angels who are created beings. The angels are creatures, but the Son is not a creature. Rather, he's the creator. He's the one who laid the foundations of the earth. And I love here what, what A.W. Tozer says about how wide the gap is between creator and creature. Tozer said that the most glorious archangel in heaven is closer to a caterpillar than he is to God. Because both the angel and the caterpillar are created things. The angels are creatures, but the son, he's the creator. Now, verse 13, but to which of the angels said he at any time? Now, here comes the last Old Testament reference we're going to see in this chapter. Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That verse is from Psalm 110, which is the Old Testament passage that is uh, most often quoted in the New Testament. The writers of the New Testament, they went back again and again and again to Psalm 110. And they applied it to Jesus. So when you get a chance, read Psalm 110 and think about Jesus while you do it. Because he is who that psalm is about. Now how does Psalm 110 start? It's David writing the psalm, who is the king. There's no earthly person in authority over him. But he's writing this psalm and he starts it off saying, The Lord says to my Lord... 
Two lords there. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Literally what he says is, Yahweh says to my Adonai. So there again, we're seeing the son being spoken of in the Old Testament. And he's called the Lord. And there was never a time when an angel angel sat at the right hand of God. He said that only to the son. And that gives the son a uh, position of absolute authority. And then finally, verse 14, this verse kind of sums up, the writer's summing up the proper way for us to think about angels. He says this, are they not all, talking about angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Now, one thing that that verse clearly establishes is that angels are, in fact, real. And they are active in the lives of believers. This is something that we should be mindful of in our daily lives and thankful for. I'm sure we can all think of times uh, when we've experienced a close call, something that really could have been disastrous. Maybe you were on the road and... um, You just narrowly avoided an accident, and you're not even quite sure how you did it, but you did. In moments like that, sometimes we might be tempted to wonder if it was just kind of a coincidence, you know? I mean, or maybe we were just fortunate enough to see the danger coming, and, you know, we avoided it in just the nick of time. Maybe it was just luck. We might try, we might think like that sometimes. But why would we think like unbelievers? We're not unbelievers. We believe that this is God's world and that he actively governs it and that he's told, uh, he's told us that angels are his chosen means for executing his will in the world. And he's telling us here that he sends them out to minister to his people. So we need to be thankful for the protection God gives us through his angels, even when, even when we may not be aware of their activity in our lives. And yet, the, the, the main point that the writer wants to emphasize to us here is that they are servants. They don't have authority in and of themselves. Their angels are under God's authority. They do what he says. And so here at the end of this section, the writer's just making sure that we, that we put the angels in their proper place, that we have them in the right place in our minds. And as glorious as they are and as thankful as we are for the work that they do on behalf of God, at the end of the day, they're servants. So how does a passage like this one instruct us as Christians? I've got two points of application I want to make. The first one is kind of indirect, and what I mean is uh, we don't learn this so much from what the writer says directly, but I think it's something that we can learn from him by looking at his example. Notice that when the writer wants to teach us things about Jesus, where does he point us to? He points us to the Old Testament. Now that's different than what we're used to doing, isn't it? If we want to demonstrate something about Jesus, we, might, we are all, almost always going to uh, cite something from the New Testament. And that's good. We should do that. The New Testament is a wonderful gift. It's the fullness of, of God's revelation to us in Christ. But Hebrews was written in a time when what we know as the New Testament had not yet come together completely. And so they couldn't just cite passages from the New Testament like we do because they didn't have a New Testament for the most part. 
But that didn't stop them from preaching Christ from the scriptures. The scriptures that they had, namely the Old Testament. And sometimes we might get this idea that the Old Testament, uh, those are the Jewish scriptures. While the New Testament, uh, those are the Christian scriptures. When in all reality, all of scripture is Christian scripture. So think about the way that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in John chapter 5. He looked at these religious experts who had probably memorized the Old Testament, and he said, you search the Scriptures, that is the Old Testament, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, it is those Scriptures that bear witness about me. So my point of application here is, when you read your Bible, and it doesn't matter what part of the Bible you're reading, When you read your Bible, always read it with Jesus lenses. Always be listening out for Jesus. Always be paying attention to the ways that passages in the Old Testament make you consider your need for Jesus and your need for a Savior. So the next time you are reading through the Bible in a year and you get bogged down in that swamp called Leviticus, we've all been there. And if you think those Uh, All of those ceremonial instructions about how to do sacrifices are hard to read. Imagine having to do all those things over and over and over again, day after day, year after year. And then let that become an opportunity for you to be thankful for the finished work of Jesus. His once for all sacrifice that, that makes all of those other ones we read about in Leviticus no longer needed. Praise God. Always read with Jesus' lenses. Did you know that the story of Noah's ark and the flood is supposed to teach you about baptism? That's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. So sometimes the New Testament helps you to see Jesus in the Old Testament. And so just like Noah and his family were saved through water, That salvation through water acted as a foreshadowing of the waters of baptism, which pictures our salvation through Christ. Always read with Jesus' lenses. There's a a popular book that does this kind of thing really well, and I think it is an excellent and profound work of theology, and it's a kid's book. It's called... The Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And I've lost count of how many copies of this uh, book that I've bought for people over the years. Um, But I would say if you've got young kids or grandkids or or, uh, kids who are just into story time, um, I would say get this book. It's a great book for you to get. Uh, And what she does is, in a storybook kind of way, she tells all of the famous stories that we know from the Old Testament. But no matter what story it is that she tells, she always, always ties it to Jesus at the end. She helps us to see how that specific story anticipates and looks forward to Jesus. Don't ever read your Bible without thinking about Jesus. Because he's who the whole thing is about. There's a a Bible scholar named Michael Kruger. uh, I don't know if this statement originated with him or not, but I read it in one of his books. He said that, Jesus is what makes the Bible one book. We got 66 books here written over about a 1,500 year span of time and written by about 40 different people. But it's the person and the work of Jesus that ties all of it together. That's my indirect point.
point of application. Always read your Bible with Jesus lenses. All of Scripture is Christian Scripture. Let it point you to Jesus. Second point I want to make is more directly related to the specific emphasis that the writer's trying to get across to us in this passage. And in case you forgot, the point of this passage is that Jesus is better than angels. Now, I said a minute ago, and I mean, mean it very sincerely, that angels are real and they are active in the lives of believers. They are instruments that God uses to execute his will on the earth and protect his people. And we ought to be aware of them and thankful for what God does for us through them. And I've heard stories of people in this church who have had experiences where there seems to have been an angelic presence, usually in a time of great danger or a time of distress, something like an extra person being seen in the back seat of a car right before a terrible accident. And I don't have any doubts at all that those kinds of things truly happen. To me, it's just like our God, just like our God to do that. He's letting us know that he's got us. He's got us. What a wonderful blessing that is. And at the same time, I think it can be easy to fall into a trap of thinking about angels in a way that is not quite so helpful. Now, I don't really frequent Christian bookstores, not that I have anything against them. I'm just more of an Amazon kind of guy. I just get what I want on the internet. But um, I have been to some Christian bookstores occasionally, and it's hard not to notice how many books you often see about angels. In fact, you might see just about as many books on angels as you see about Jesus. And it seems like we've probably gotten ourselves out of whack in terms of the, the appropriate emphasis that we put on angels. When I was a kid, I used to love to read guidepost magazines. Now, I say I used to read guideposts. There was really only one thing in guideposts that I cared about. And I don't know, I think guideposts is still publishing, but they used to have a feature, they might still do. They had a feature called His Mysterious Ways. And this was always a story about some kind of unexplainable occurrence that happened to someone, or sometimes what appeared to be the presence of an angel. And I used to love to read those stories, but in all honesty, I would sometimes let those kinds of stories breed in me a kind of discontentment. And I would say, God, why don't you let amazing things like, like that happen to me? Why don't you ever send me an angel? Why can't I see an angel? Now, I can also remember laying in my bed at night when it was good and dark and praying, God, if you're going to send me an angel, please don't do it at night because that would be really, really scary. So if you, if, if, you don't, if you don't mind, please wait till the daytime. That's all. Okay, thanks. <laughs> but I would let angel stories make me discontent with my own walk with the Lord. And in those times, I don't think I properly understood the reality that Jesus is better than angels. Now, that might sound kind of vague when I say it. Jesus is better. But what do, what do I really mean? How do, I, how do we get to know Jesus? I can't speak with him in, in the normal sense like I can speak with you all. I can't see him. So how do I get to know this Jesus who you're saying is better than angels? Well, I think the answer is really actually turns out to be a pretty simple one. The New Testament starts off with four separate and unique accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. 
And they serve as kind of the baseline for what we, what we know about the Lord Jesus. But then before Jesus left the earth, he said that the Holy Spirit would come and would lead the apostles into all truth. So later in the writings of Paul or Peter or John, we've got further reflections on who Jesus is and what he did for us. And then in books like James, we can see the, the practical outworking of what faith in Jesus looks like and how it changes the way you live. We don't just fill up our heads with knowledge about Jesus. We become doers of the word. We let it have authority in our lives We let it change the way that we conduct ourselves. This is how we get to know Jesus, by reading and hearing and applying his word in our lives. So as amazing as it would be to get a message from God directly from an angel, and I mentioned a minute ago, that would be amazing. Of course it would. But do you realize that the Bible that's on your lap is actually better than that? Better for your soul, better for your life, more heart transforming. I don't think we often think like that, but I think we should. We are reading the words of God in this book. When Jesus was praying to his father in the garden in John 17, he was, and he was praying for his people, he said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. And then he says, Thy word is truth. The word is how we're sanctified. And I can promise you that there are a lifetime's worth of treasures and riches to be found in this word. There's a great line that I'll, that I'll close with here. It's from a famous hymn called, How Firm a Foundation. There's a, there's a great line in it that says, What more can he say than to you he has said? What more can he say than to you he has said? That's what I have for you tonight. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your angels. Thank you for the protection that you give us through them. You are so good to do that for us. Father, we thank you most of all for Jesus, your son, who is better than all the angels who is far more glorious, far more authoritative in our lives. Father, we pray that your son would be magnified in the way that we go about our lives this week, that we, uh, as we apply your word to our lives, that, um, that your son would be magnified, that he would receive the praises and the glory and the honor that he deserves, not just with our mouths, but with our hands and our feet. Lord Jesus, be magnified. Write your word on our hearts, we pray. Amen. We're going to move into a time of response now. And I just, if you are a believer here tonight, and I imagine most of you are, um, I would just invite you to Reflect on the things that have been said. Reflect on the glory of Jesus and worship him. Because that's what we do. That's what Christians do. They worship Jesus. So just enjoy him tonight. Tell him how good he is. If you're not a believer, I would love to introduce you to this Jesus that I've been talking about tonight.
He's a wonderful person. And he stands ready to give eternal life to anybody who will repent of their sins and come to him and trust in him for salvation. So I invite you to do that tonight. I'm going to be up here at the front. Uh, My mom's going to sing through um, a couple of verses. And uh, then we're going to close out. So stand with me as we respond to the Lord. summarizing whoever spoke. And so I just want to say, not a whole summary, but one thing, Joel, that a couple of things that really stood out to me. One is an angel is more like a caterpillar than like Jesus, the creator. That's how big, awesome Jesus is. There's another thing in verse 14 that I thought was really neat. And it actually took me back to a song that I've heard several years ago about angels. Uh, in this song, it said that angels, and it was a fictional song, but this song said their angels are jealous of you and me. And so, well, why would an angel be jealous of you and me? And it's because in verse 14, it describes you and me as something that an angel will never experience. And that is an heir of salvation. An angel has never known grace. He's never need to know grace. But you and I do need to know grace. And here's what God did. The God who is so big that he could create angels took on the form of a human and became obedient to the point of death so that he could show you and me grace. That's what makes Hebrews crazy. Joel said on Sunday night, Hebrews was written to Jewish people who thought about going back to uh, laws and rules 
And he says, you're gonna go back to a system where you don't need a God to step into the world and die on your behalf because he loves you. Don't go back to that. Worship the God who loves you. It's crazy that the God who creates angels would die because he loves us. Um, Brother Chris, would you mind praying for it? Oh, prepare yourself to pray, but real quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, we didn't get a chance to talk to Nathaniel about this. Um, Deidre's grandmother is here with us tonight, and in the morning she's going in for surgery. Um, they have told her that she has liver cancer, and uh, they're going in for some very, you guys can come on up here. And they have asked, and I'm, I'm reminded of James 5, and I was just reading a few minutes ago where it says, Any afflicted or sick among you in the church, call for the elders of the church and come and anoint them and pray over them. And um, that's what they're doing. They're praying. They're turning this over to God. I've, I've spoke with this lady, Miss Vivian, three or four times. I've already met with her, and her faith is solid and strong, and she knows she's in Jesus' hands, and God's got her. And um, Nathaniel, if you don't care, I'd ask Mark Stevens if he would pray. Uh, lead us in prayer um, but everybody that wanted to come up did you want to say anything about this this is who I was telling y'all about that I stood before you and claimed um, that God healed her two times and there's a big part that feels like some miracles were stolen from me but that's not true so we accept one way or the other tomorrow when they open her up that God's will will be done and we accept it. Anybody like to come up to my hands of Miss Vivian? 